The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The world and the band angels said I want to be a truck in the heart of mine Must have been in the crowd in a cowboy baby Kia ora and welcome to Actually Interesting, a new podcast series about AI or artificial intelligence. I'm Russell Brown. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft, which is helping take New Zealand products to the world with AI. And what you've just been listening to is a country song written by a neural network, an AI based on all the other country songs it's heard. You Can't Take My Door is performed by actual humans, but there is also AI music created and played entirely by algorithms. And because algorithms never sleep, like Motorhead, an AI-generated death metal live stream goes 24-7 on YouTube. At this point, you're probably wondering, what the hell did I just listen to? And also, what's a neural network? What's an algorithm? And what does AI have to do with my life? Truth is, quite a lot. We experience artificial intelligence in our lives every day. When Netflix recommends something we might like, Facebook recognises us in a picture, Spotify builds us a playlist, or Microsoft's intelligent assistant understands a spoken instruction. AI promises to transform business and it poses a new and intriguing set of questions for society. Legal, economic, cultural and social. In the first episode of Actually Interesting, we'll take it back to first principles and explain what AI is and what it might help us do. To that end, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Marsa Mohagig of AUT and Shemaine Bonom, an expert in data and artificial intelligence at Microsoft. Um, Marsa, what, what is AI? What, what do we mean when we talk about intelligent machines? What is it? I think what is useful to describe this is going back and defining what intelligence is. I think it's really a capability of solving problems, learning, and making decisions. So following from this, in broad terms, AI is where computer system can actually learn and solve problems without human intervention. Shemaine, what do we mean by machine learning? Uh, so we see machine learning as the effort to automate intellectual tasks that we normally see performed by humans, when really underneath the hood, it's actually just algorithms designed to um, evaluate the data and create rules, um, given examples of what it's expected to do from its knowledge base, and then it approves it through experience. So that, that's what an algorithm is, isn't it? it? It's a set of rules, if this, do this. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, what's a neural network? I hear that I hear that phrase used quite often as well. Is it like our brains? Neural network is actually an approach and technique to machine learning. 
So if you're thinking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, it's approach to artificial intelligence and deep neural network, it's a technique to perform machine learning. And it is really looking through different layers and iteration to find out the best answer. To give you an example, so if you want to train a system with some grapes to make sure that which grape is good for making wine. So you can fit the system with one type of grape and they're coming with answer yes or no. You can train a system with capsicum and then you know asking a question. So over time system learn that it is some specific grapes they are good for making wines. So the, the, these systems do genuinely become smarter in their ter- on, the, on their own terms? Definitely. The more data you provide and the, the more longer you train them, so they become more expert and smart. But, Shemaine, they can only they can only do what they're told or trained to do, can't they? Yes, AI is only designed to do one or a few things very well. It cannot do uh, hundreds of tasks very well, d- despite what uh, popular entertainment and media is seeing in Terminator, Ex Machina, and Black Mirror. It's not as frightening Skynet. as it seems. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've, I mean, that's the funny thing about AI, isn't it? It's already in the culture, but... And it's in our worlds, but the way it's in our worlds is maybe not how we see it in the culture. I mean, there are, there are lots of manifestations of AI that we deal with every day, aren't there, that we may not realise that they are that. Yes, it, it has ge- generated quite a villainous representation, even quite recently. Um, I think that's uh, that's equated to all the experiences we've had through social media in, in particular and how it affects how we interact with other people. Um, but we don't even realise that uh, we, we have... Um, AI around us even now that don't affect us in the ways that that we see, um, even our our mobile devices. Um, yeah. So I think what people they don't really know that AI is well and truly here. So with pizza delivery drones, digital teaching assistant that they are available twenty four seven, IBM Watson chefs, AI security guards. Boston Dynamic Robots, and there are just a few examples of AI in action. So the automated chatbot that we often see at the online banking and similar services, so these are all AI-based systems. And those systems have improved really rapidly, is my impression, in the, in the past you know, even five years, haven't they? Yes, and the reason for that, because today we have access to a lot of data, which and actually our devices are much more uh, powerful and uh, smarter. So the mobile phone you have in your hand, it has over 10 million lines of codes. And some small, smart appliances at home, they have over 5 million lines of code. So we can uh, collect a lot of data in such a short time. So data, is there's no shortage shortage of data. And the... processor and the power for it, it just gave us that capability to come up with more AI application. Shemaine, that's actually kind of your day job, isn't it? Big data machine learning. Yes, but there's a lot of crap going in the machine (laughs) (laughs) that I need to clean up before I can actually build something uh, even moderately useful or something close to trustworthy. Right. Let's let's define crap. Um, what yeah, and what does cleaning up mean? What, what do you put into your machine? Um, what's bad about what you put into your machine, and how do you clean it up? Uh, that could be when I say crap, uh, that would even go to data quality itself. So, from a data science perspective, if I have an excess of one variable in a data set, and less so of a couple of others, that's introducing bias into the data set that I'm training my model on. If there are more, that's uh, having more incidences of one over the other over a period of time. It could be having not enough uh, 
records are lots of nulls in the data set, um, just, as a, just as an example. So there's a bit of uh, cleaning up to do in validation to make sure that there isn't bias, there isn't anything that's going to trip up the code. Or, I mean, are we talking about the situation where, where there could be a typo in your code and it could actually change, you know, m- make a major difference to the, to the output? If there's not a where clause, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we really call that is algorithmic bias. So algorithmic bias is the systematic and unfair discrimination or favor towards a certain group. And it is largely unconscious or at the computing level. But in reality, is just a reflection of either unconscious bias at algorithmic development point or lack of diversity on development teams, so both. So this is what just happens, um, that unconscious bias at the human level is coded into the computer system. And one of the easiest methods, probably is not the easiest thing, to tackle this issue is really tackle the issue at human level. So the more diverse your development team, probably you will enter more, less bias into your data set. Yeah, and that, that will, I mean, because we're not necessarily even talking about conscious bias in a sense, are we? No, no, not at all. It just happens because you don't have enough diversity in your development team. team. Are there examples of that? I actually have a good example from Google again. So a few years back when I was um, at Google, so good friends were telling me a story about the YouTube app. So when they released first released the YouTube app in iOS, when people started uploading video to YouTube, they noticed that a big portion of the um, videos in the YouTube, they're upside down. So the reason for that, if you're right hand side, so you hold the phone in a way that your camera is up, and if you're left hand side, you hold your phone in a way that is your, your camera is down. So it means that they didn't have any left-handed person in development team, let alone testing team, <laughs> to check that. So this is about diversity, and diversity is not only gender diversity, so it is ethnicity, culture, age, so the more diverse your team, the better performance, the better, you know, novelty and ideas are probably coming out of it. Um, Marcia, are there different kinds of AI? Are we talking about all one thing or, you know, are, are there several distinct different kinds of AI to talk about? Sure. So there are different classifications of AI. There's artificial narrow intelligence, which is basically a system learning a single task and performing this intelligently. So, for example, image recognition or speech recognition. This is AI in one of its own more basic form. There's another type of artificial intelligence, which is artificial general intelligence. It's a kind of general purpose AI, and it is not limited to the particular task, but has the ability to learn and improve on a wide range of tasks and applications. So the example of that is AlphaGo. And there is super intelligence, which is the stage where the intelligence, comprehension, and learning ability, and perception, and such like these things, the surpass that um, the average human being. And this is the time that AI becoming a little bit scary. But how far away are we? Where are we? Where we are. are Yeah, there there are a lot of um, arguing around it, but I think it's not going to be at least in the next 50 years. I get the impression that in the history of AI, there's been a succession of things that we thought were problems that were too hard. I mean, recognizing faces, it, it's not that long ago that that was too hard, isn't it? No, not at all. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, actually, our perception of AI has changed um, quite a lot. Even uh, 50 years ago, our, our idea of AI was actually a game called Pong, a black and white game. It looks like you're playing tennis. And that was considered AI, whereas today it's anything that's closer to 
the the human intellect. And maybe in another 20 years, that um, that definition might change again. Um, are there things that we think, pre- what, what things presently can't AI do? I mean, there's a whole list of things we thought it couldn't do, like machine translation and that kind of thing. And it turns out, yeah, we can make it do that. Are there things, what are the things that it can't do at the moment? So there are actually a number of things which many people, including myself, I believe that AI will never be capable of or at least will never match humans on it. So a characteristic like empathy, creativity, critical thinking, negotiation skills, and even some aspects of teaching. So they're just to name a few of them. And I just believe that's the the main missing factor between human and AI for me is really empathy. And um, the effectiveness of these things, you know, coming through the machine and human being, they're completely different. Yeah, but what do you make of that, Shemaine? I think... Will we develop machines with empathy, and why not, if we don't? Well, that goes back to the old Turing's test, um, how, how do you define empathy? You give something a personality, and you think you're interacting with some, with something or someone that is responding in kind to and interacting with you as such. So it, it could also be mistaken for empathy as well. It depends on the user experience. Um, I know you've both actually looked at AI in education. And um, Shemaine, have you, what's the work you're doing there? Uh, I've worked on a couple of projects in, in New Zealand, and I do see um, a few activities happening overseas. So one, one of the projects that I see happening is uh, something called video indexing. So imagine you're in a two- to three-hour lecture, and you're only interested in that one one or two particular topics that you're struggling in, but you have to sit through the entire lecture to find out when it's going when that's going to pop up. So you can just get get out there and and study and and continue on. Well, video indexing takes that recording one step further. So it does capture key phrase extraction and topic inference. So going back to that topic you're interested in. It also does audio translation and transcription to different languages. So you can imagine if you're a student um, and it's your second language and uh, you're tackling a topic that's really quite difficult for you, maybe just having a simple translation could really make a big difference, particularly um, when you're still seeing it and uh, referencing to the examples that are in the lecture. Um, It also does speaker recognition. So if you've got more than one person up on the stage in the lecture, have, having a chat, um, all of that will be transcribed to text. So you can imagine there's a lot of time being saved um, and it, the video lectures are worth more value to the student and as well to the university. There's no knowledge base lost as well. It also sounds quite handy if you're a, if you're a lazy student. Mm-hmm. Or a smart student who's amortizing their time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had it. <laughs> now, Marcia, you actually gave, you, you gave a presentation recently about, about whether AI will replace teachers. Yes. Um, um, what is really important to know that our new generation, they're growing up in a world which is filled with technology. And these technology are really reshaping, redefining, and disrupting every aspect of life. So actually, in that presentation, I show my little two-and-a-half-year-old. So now she can talk to Google Assistant and ask Google to play um, Peppa Pig for her. 
which is a little bit sad because he doesn't really need me anymore for that. <laughs> and so this is this shows that you know applications like Alexa and Google Assistant they are just the beginning of you know potentials in this field. So for us, it's really important to know that education is no exception. The education we knew yesterday is different today, and it will be different from what we'll know in the future. And I think it's very natural when people asking, will AI ever replace teachers? And I think um, what many people, they don't know that AI already is embedding itself in our education system. There's so many applications of AI. For example, right here in New Zealand, there's a company called Jay Puna in Christchurch, a startup. They designed Amy. Amy is a math tutor. So you can actually, um, working with the student, monitoring them real time, find out knowledge gap, providing feedback to teacher, and provide the students with more exercise and practice. So there are so many of them. And uh, of course, Soul Machine last year, they released the first digital teacher. And this is one of the kind here in New Zealand that we started to, you know, testing it in different places. And that AI machine or digital human or digital teacher is going to school and teaching students about renewable energy. But as I said, I think there are so many other reasons that seeing AI replacing teacher, it is impractical and to some extent is undesirable. And I think one of the most important thing is teachers, they don't just impart knowledge, they teach wisdom through their experience. They inspire and motivate the students. And I don't know any machine or AI system would be able to inspire students or motivate them. So in, in that sense, AI might make us focus more on the, the central human qualities. As a human, we relate better with other humans. And we like to learn from someone who's capable of making mistakes. But AI system, they designed to be perfect. They designed to cause the gap of imperfections. And this is why we prefer and we relate better with other humans. Uh, Shemaine, are there any other applications in education that are being explored in New Zealand? Uh, actually, I, I know that Massey University are researching how, how HoloLens 2 and other VR devices can assist them in improving building evacuation procedures. And how they do that is they build out the building and property layout in a VR scenario, and then um, they strategize uh, different paths of evacuation procedures. And then they test it out by having random people participate in a virtual evacuation. And then they see um, which is successful, which is not, and where the methods of improvement are. Oh, that's, all, that, that's like workplace training, isn't it? Well, what are the other key, what are the other killer apps in New Zealand, do you think? There, there is one, but it's more for um, people with a uh, visual disability. We call it Seeing AI, and you can download it on Android and iOS. And essentially what it does is it does um, OCR, so optical character recognition. So if imagine if you have a, a menu in front of you and you're visually impaired, you can bring out your phone to open the app. Um, scan that document. It will tell you the edges of the document so you can scan it correctly. And then you can ask it um, what's on special today and it will read it out to you. Or even something as simple as scanning the environment around you with the application. It will tell you what is happening. Like for example, some of a boy was skating by on his skateboard. It would say there's a, I think it's a boy doing tricks on his skateboard. And it even goes further to um, be able to tell that, tell that person 
um, the people around them, uh, how they're how they're reacting to your speaking. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they impressed? Are they disgusted um, with the conversations that that you've got going? So you, the person can actually gauge uh, the value of their conversation. I mean, the interesting thing there is that, is that the AI doesn't know what a boy or a skateboard is really. It has, you know, that, that's been designed into it. The, mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, that's that interpretation of what it sees or or reads is is given to it by humans, mm. and that suggests that that we very much get out of AI what we put into it. Is that the case? Very much so. Very much. It's so. the quality of the data set. Um, now, I, I wasn't going to get onto this until a little bit later, but let's mm. go ahead now. We talked about digital assistants, uh, and there's some really interesting issues around those. Uh, Marcy, you were looking at uh, at some interesting news from, was it UNESCO? Yes, actually. So that news was a few days ago that United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, they come up with a report, and the title of the report is, I Would Blush If I Could. And this is after a response Siri authors when receiving a certain um, kind of sexually explicit explicit comments. And the paper really explores the effects of bias in AI research and the product development and the potential long-term negative implication of it. So it's really reinforced the harmful gender stereotype. And I actually, I actually saw something really interesting uh, in those terms uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago. As you noted, uh, most, if not all, of our digital assistants, our AIs, are female voices. And it's the female voices who get told what to do. And they are effectively servants. And some people have done something about that and made a genderless AI voice. Hi, I'm Q, the world's first genderless voice assistant. Think of me like Siri or Alexa, but neither male nor female. I'm created for a future where we are no longer defined by gender. What did you make of that voice? I, I thought it, I thought it was kind of interesting because I had to settle into it. My brain was trying to go binary on it and decide whether it was a, a, a male or a female voice. I, I and was exactly like that. So I was just trying to, at the start of it. It's just like, no, that's definitely female voice. And then I just like, no, that's a male voice. And then I was like, that's really interesting that they find something that people can really recognize as female or male. Hmm. Did you listen to it, Jermaine? No, I haven't, but I, I have heard of it. Um, the reason why I didn't listen to it is I'm one of those more chilled out people that doesn't <laughs> have a problem who who I'm talking to, male, female, anything in between. I mean, when I first got my iPhone, I actually changed Siri to an Irish male voice because I thought it would sound hilarious <laughs> and, you know, I'd have great interactions. Yeah, I think that's a matter of you having option to choose what you want. So it just trying to reinforcing gender stereotype by having older assistant female voices to just saying that the female voice is warm, is welcoming, and trying to just use that as that, I think it's not right. But having an option, so Google Assistant, they recently started using John Legend voice as one of the Google Assistant voices, which I think is really oh, So awesome. maybe it'll become like your, your GPS in your car. People get used to choosing the voice that, that they want to order around and ask things, you know. So maybe you can have Snoop Dogg as your... Yeah, why not? You think he'd agree to that? (laughs) If there was a dollar in it, he would agree to it, I'm damn sure. Hey, this is Snoop Dogg. Turn left. (laughs) Um, um, Shemaine, Microsoft had a really interesting uh, learning experience a couple of years ago with with an AI, a chatbot called Tay. What happened there? 
What didn't happen? <laughs> um, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, let's just say there was no content moderator in the learning model um, underneath the hood. So Tay was a Twitter bot that was embedded into the Twitter website. And what it did was it interacted with other Twitter users, other humans, and it would uh, learn the context, um, their their strains of thought, and then it would post out its um, its its own ideas, and they were quite racist, um, <laughs> uh, anti-feminist, and yeah, it was just overall really quite rude. Um, as a designer, uh, as a developer, you would think, oh God, my beastly creation. And I can imagine a lot of people would have taken uh, quite an insult to that, not realizing that it was just a, a, a little AI bot V1 um, launched out onto the society, unsuspecting society. So it was, I thought it was more interesting to gauge how people reacted to it rather than what the bot actually did. Well, the, what the bot did was about how people reacted to it, wasn't it? It was learning yes. from us and we yes. turned out to be terrible. <laughs> we're, we're awful people, <laughs> some of us. <laughs> so what was the response to that? Because I, I thought actually Microsoft was quite good about that. Sacha, your CEO, said, mm, yeah, well, that's a learning experience. Um, we'll do better next time. What, what happened after that? Well, they, they took it down, obviously. And then they tried to upload another one. Um, again, that wasn't uh, a success. So it, at the end of the day, they, they didn't make a third one. Um, but we do have that ability to make bots um, in within Microsoft services. But we have also introduced uh, a new add-on service to that, which is called the content moderator. Mm-hmm. So you can actually filter out all that nonsense or what, or even whatever you determine to be nonsense um, going through your learning model. Are they, are they still learning the same way? Yes. Right. So yeah. they're still learning from us. Yes. So it's kind of like you, it's up to us to provide a good example for <laughs> for the algorithm, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. The, the, most, the, the most concern that um, I'd say anyone would have about anything that's coming out that's AI, IoT related is the person behind the screen building it and also the people around them influencing it, influencing that person that's developing it as well. What's yeah. their motivation? There are examples of that, aren't there, Master? The, the, the assumptions that we may not have even known we had can manifest in you know in, in AI via the via the design. Mm-hmm. That's true. So um, I just want to go back and just explaining that really one of the biggest challenge for AI system today is public expectation. So when people hearing about new digital assistant, they expect to see Jarvis from Iron Man. So they expect to really see something perfect. But the reality is that AI systems, they're only getting better and they rely on more people using them to get better. And this is the fact that they're only learning from us. So and it, this is based on what we put into the system, we can just get a better result. And I have an example of that, that things gone wrong. And this was involved Google, actually. So last year, it was highlighted that the image classifier in Google AI-based system in a search algorithm, when you were searching for African-American people, it would come up with the gorilla pictures. And it was extremely embarrassing situation. And as soon as they it was highlighted, so they set to work to rectify the issue. But you know, this is an example of Google is a major advocate for diversity, inclusion, and equality. 
and for breaking down biases. So this example, it just goes to show you that even the good guys get it wrong sometimes. And even when it is not due um, their own inherent fault. So it is really based on that. We have to have a diverse team to be able, you know, to make sure that we get the diverse results. Yeah, so tech bros in, tech bros out, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Shemaine, you had uh, an interesting example when we were talking before about airport security. You can tell this one because... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell it because I'm half Chinese, half Irish and, and Australian. So, yeah, I've got... <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of get away with it. Um, so in the news recently, it made New Zealand headlines, I believe, last year. Um, something from the Department of Internal Affairs where a New Zealand man of Asian descent was trying to get his passport scanned um, through the through the airport and the passport scanner asked him to open his eyes because it couldn't <laughs> register his face. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Uh, did, did they change it after that? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of us. They need to change it. <laughs> 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 so what I'm getting for this, is, uh, there are a lot of learning experiences still, even as we're training these algorithms, we are learning ourselves about AI. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Um, what do you expect to change in this space in the next year or two in New Zealand? One of the exciting things. I think the move to cloud, um, the only way we've made such leaps and bounds in the past five, ten years, I, w I would say, is because um, we have democratized AI. AI takes a lot of compute power in order to be able to operate and also test these models. And a lot of that comes from moving our data to the cloud. And as we become uh, a lot more GPR compliant, we do see a lot more businesses making that move so that they can uh, explore all those different technology options as well. Massa, what's interesting to you? I have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> I just think in really New Zealand, it's a great place. So it's a grounding um, platform for testing a lot of applications in AI. And I think we have a nation that they are really embracing technology and adapting very fast with technology. And from the projects we are running at the university we and the need for skilled people in this field, so I'm really sure that um, future would be very exciting and bright. We think what are some AI. of those projects? So, for example, at the moment, one of the projects I have is using a deep neural network to diagnose the earliest stage of depression. We are working in natural language processing with uh, Tarot Maori groups who are having a tagger for that language, part of a speech tagger. There are some uh, projects around Internet of Things that, again, have some elements of artificial intelligence. So there were only just a few examples. And they're all coming from industry, so they are real-life problem. There's also, uh, I talk to some tech people, and they perceive AI as being hype. And there is, I think, you know, it's, it's evident that there is a degree of hype. It's become one of those buzz phrases to use. How do, how do we... How do we sort out for ourselves when we're reading about this stuff what is real and what's not? Is there is there a bullshit detector? <laughs> I think if by hype you mean that AI won't be as big as a deal as it is made out to be, I actually think that's the opposite is true. 
because uh, in my opinion, it will probably the biggest impact any technology has ever had was across the multiple industry. But in terms of hype around risk with AI, yes, the risk that needs to be mitigated, policies need to be put in place. And yes, if it's not carefully managed, things can go completely wrong. And it's not really hard to just search YouTube for some of the incredible examples of AI and equally not hard to find some situations that becoming serious um, problem without control in place. But um, some hype, I should say, it is coming from people that they tend to confuse science with science fiction. And I think for every new technology that's happening and there are always extremes views and AI is no different. Uh, Shemaine, do you talk about this much at Microsoft? Because, there, I mean, one thing that, that has been pointed out to me is that it, it creates an interesting legal situation. If AI starts creating things and making decisions and people talk about AI lawyers, who's responsible if something goes wrong? Is it the vendor? Is it the people who programmed it? Is it this entity we call an AI? Who, who's, who carries the can if something goes wrong? Whoever signed the dotted line on the TCO, I'd say. <laughs> so is that appropriate? Oh, gosh. <laughs> We're all about friends. <laughs> I think there are a lot of ethical issues around yeah. it. And I think even when we look at education, go back to education, one of the greatest um, issues behind AI in education are um, ethical issues around the testing development and initial trial of some of the complex works because after all this is our children's future education that we are dealing with so i think government policies and some regulation in that is really really helpful uh, is that happening at any level is the government getting its head around this stuff i think it's happening but it's very slowly do you think is, is it because the, the concept is kind of hard to understand you know, it's not maybe not that well understood what what this is and what it does. I think with so many AI applications around us, so it is really important that we're moving fast in this space because we are, um, I can talk about university level, so we have students that they're coming and they are really, really motivated and they are very tech savvy without knowing about the ethics behind these, you know, development they can come up with something that at the end it might not be AI for social good and come come up, come up with completely different product. So I think that has to come in a very first priority in our least, you know, in terms of AI development in future. Does it matter if um, if you and I as members of the public, I mean, no, you, not, not you guys because you're both experts, but does it matter if an average member of the public knows that they're in interacting with an AI or that they are using something that's AI-based. And that could be as simple as, say, um, typing a natural language query into Google, which I do all the time. That was amazing when that started happening. You just type a question into Google, and it didn't matter whether that actual wording was indexed anywhere. Google would understand what you wanted. You know, does it matter if, we, if it just works? I think people, they need to know if it is AR or not. So if you remember last year, Google AI.io, um, they actually released the latest version of Google Assistant that Google Assistant could call the hair salon and make a, you know appointment. But I think the part was missing that was when the person called to make an appointment, they wouldn't introduce themselves that they are digital assistant. And 
I had a friend here at the university that was really funny. He was talking about if you're a member of one of the customer of Kiwi Bank, when you join, they give you a little log of the person that would show us that, for example, Rachel would be here to help you. And he was just emailing back and forth that person and just getting a result and answer very fast. So after a couple of months, they changed it. And for example, they said, Simon now. Is. So he went to the bank and says, I really want to work with that previous lady. She was really fast in replying. And they said they were all bots and chatbots. So, you know, they, people, they really need to know who we're dealing with. And I think out of, you know, courtesy of respect, they have to be able, you know, that they have to disclose it. No, Shabane, you, you work with business customers on this mm. stuff. Do, do they need to understand what's going on and what's possible and, and the fact that these things are representing their company? Well, I, it's definitely, it, it should be an extension of the human experience. I mean, that it was so smooth and that they couldn't tell the difference in that example, um, really, it it's really tells tales to, the, to how much effort they have put into it. Um, why do people care? If it's if it's uh, AI or not, if they got what they wanted to done and it didn't hurt anyone, is what I say. I, I think one thing that often gets talked about um, in the context of AI is whose job it's going to replace. And I, I hear talk of AI lawyers and that sort of thing. And I always think it can't happen with journalism. And then I see that the internet is already full of bot-written stories. Um, who, whose jobs do you think are most replaceable and who's the most AI proof? I think today AI strength lies in repetitive task automation. So any any type of task that you know requires lots of repetitive tasks, so they have a chance to probably replace by AI. But I would say my top five um, list of jobs that they will probably significantly impacted by AI are drivers, Data entry specialist. I'm sorry, Russell, but I think journalists and financial analysts. <laughs> That's yes. not very good news. You've got to create an AI personality. A <laughs> <laughs> Russbot. And Shemaine, any other jobs do you think are... are there? Uh, just some very... Anything that's very large scale, and as Masa said, um, anything that's a repeatable task. So definitely factory operations um, that are large scale and also large scale farming operations. So you see the giant machines that are satellite operated, watering, um, fertilizing, um, pull, pulling, up, uh, pulling, up the, pulling up the plants as well when they're ready for harvesting. Um, th these are already in action and happening. Right what, now. what about programmers? Why don't programmers ever get replaced by machines? <laughs> they get replaced by better programmers. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the shade. Um, no, but it, it's true. If you don't have the cognitive flexibility to keep um, to keep learning and 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 upskilling and seeing whether where where it's going, you don't have the stability in your occupation because our role changes all the time. And I think coding, it's a new literacy. So it's really important to actually mm -hmm. start teaching coding because of the fact that programmers, probably they are the only one that will, we will need mm. for a long time. If no. only you'd, if only someone had told me that before I went into journalism. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, this is this has been really fun. Um, th thank you both very, very much. Thank Shemaine you so and much Martha. for having I, us. I, I think I feel a bit wiser now. Thank you. And more depressed. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that's the first episode of Actually Interesting. We hope you found it that way.
Thanks to Microsoft New Zealand for making this podcast possible and keeping at least one human journalist employed. To Masa Mohegeg and Shemin Bonhom for sharing their knowledge. And Tina Tiller for producing and making us all sound good. If you like this, you can subscribe for more Actually Interesting on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. I'm Russell Brown for The Spin-Off and I'll be back next month with more humans joining me in exploring the AI frontier and making it actually interesting. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.